Hey everyone, my name is Caleb. And I'm Ben, and you are listening to Tribal Talk, a survivor podcast. Well, Caleb, it is uh, a new day outside. Uh, the spring has sprung. The birds are singing. Uh, the survivor players are um, different. They're all about half the size that they were uh, when they started this thing. And I'm specifically talking about Sandra and Rob in particular. They look like uh, versions of, of themselves from many years before. Um, so kind of inspiring. I started, I started, uh, cutting some weight myself. Um, probably not the same methods that they're using. You're not eating half a cup of rice a day. No, no, I, I don't actually like rice, which is probably the, the main reason that I, I haven't been on survivor yet. Yeah. It, it just doesn't seem worth it to me for $2 million, you know, (laughs) If if that were me, I'd probably just just quit. You know, as soon as things oh, got really? hard. Yeah, I'd really just be interested in playing Survivor if I knew for sure that they were just going to hand me the win. Okay, so okay, so let's cut the veil. <laughs> let's cut the veil here. So All let right. me ask you the first question, which is: Does Sandra actually stay queen? Queen stays queen is what she always says. Does Sandra stay queen after leaving the edge of extinction early, or does she take a step down? I would like to point out before you begin that Jeff Probst is on the record saying that he thinks that her legacy is intact, and he says that this doesn't affect anything. What are your thoughts? So when you talk about legacy, right, that's that's something that's permanent that can't be that can't really be erased. If you get to the point where you leave a legacy, the whole point of that is is you know to cement yourself as a, as a certain ideal. And I think for Sandra, her legacy that she is leaving Survivor is is a little bit stained um, with this performance. And I, and I and I can think, okay, so for example, we love football on 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 Tribal Talk. We of course. make similes all the time. And here is here's the one that came to mind is Brett Favre, right? You don't think of Brett Favre and think of the Minnesota Vikings quarterback. You don't. Um, he, he came back, he played all of his good years for the Green Bay Packers. And so that's how you think of Brett Favre. In my well, opinion, and the Jets, Ben, don't forget the Jets. Did he? That brief stint. Yeah. He briefly played for the Jets in between actually. Yeah. Well, cause Green Bay would have never let him go to the Vikings. Caleb, this cannot be a sports podcast. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me, sorry. Oh <laughs> uh, no, actually. no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Actually. Keep going. So, you know, Brett Favre, you think of the, 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 the Hall of Fame Green Bay Packers quarterback. And for Sandra, I think you think kind of the same. You know, she had some some brilliant moves. Specifically, in my mind, her first season was was probably her best. And uh, even just like the first few days, you know, where, where she's wheeling and dealing uh, on yeah, that. Yeah, the on only that, bilingual person going into that market. Just freaking and stealing people's shoes and just like, I mean, I love that Sandra. Why did Sandra play again? I think that it was a big mistake by production 
to take her her spot from someone else. I think I, I don't I can't say that I know what her motivation was for for playing again another year, but to me whatever it was, it wasn't strong enough. Um, and she ended up just kind of taking somebody's spot. If you think about it, she didn't really do anything this season. She didn't play challenges. She didn't make significant strategic moves. She just went along. And when you listen to the five minute confessional where she's basically apologizing for quitting the game, it's, it's very weak. It comes from a very weak state of mind. I think where she's like, I've done all that I want to do in this game. I think that she had done all that she wanted to do in the game before coming, and the reason that she came was either for money, or for the camera time, or for fun, or for distraction, but it wasn't to win the game, because, you know, you you saw Rob's look on his face when she shows up on the edge of extinction, and he's like, why would you let someone else take your fate in their hands? He was shocked. And he was shocked, everyone was shocked, and they all started getting on her, and she was just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. And I think she was out. I think th- I think that makes perfect sense as to why she made that move with Denise. She didn't care. She didn't care what Denise did at that point. She was just going to give give her game to Denise and if Denise be- betrayed her, she was perfectly fine going home. And that's just very sad to see from someone with the history that Sandra has. I I wish they hadn't invited her back. I'm sure uh, underneath all of the the things that he said, Jeff is probably sorry too um, that he has put her legacy in jeopardy with this. I think she still played the games that she has played and she still deserves credit for that, but she had no business being on season 40. Yeah, so to me, it was pretty apparent that she had made the decision that if she was going to go to the edge of extinction, that she wasn't going to stay. I think she had made that decision before she was ever voted out, before she rode over there, before she spoke to everyone. She knew this is not a game mechanic that I can actually use to my advantage. And in that light, I don't necessarily blame her for quitting because I can recognize, okay, the calculus is that, look, you are there with, as Boss and Rob said, the majors. You're with the best of the best. These are with people who have all won individual immunity challenges multiple times in their survivor careers, and you've never won one. And you're there with them. What are the odds, really, that you're going to be able to beat them and re-enter the game? So I understand her reasoning and her logic. My one beef with her, that she is the next to the last vote out, so her, then Yule, then the merge, and we believe a return challenge at that point. She probably had four to six days at most on the edge of extinction that she would have to chill out and wait out for even a very, very, very slim chance of making her way back in the game. But it was possible. And if she was voted out on day one, I don't really think I would blame her, but she wasn't voted out on day one. She was voted out on day 16 and she was voted out right before the merge. Could she have stayed in just a little bit longer and then not made it back in and then left? I think that calculation could have been made. Again, I agree with you, though. This doesn't take away from all of her past wins. I think she's still obviously a very compelling player. But in terms of the survivor queen, she's always had that claim because she's the only two-time winner. And we're looking at a situation now where after the season, there's not going to be just one two-time winner. And there may be a two-time winner that's also another female, obviously, you know, taking away at the term queen, not just royalty, but her term of queen specifically. So if Sophie wins, hypothetically, and not only is she a two-time winner, but her second win was in a all-winners season, how can we not say that she's kind of taken that title? 
I think that the new person will have earned it. For Sandra's sake, I hope that it's a guy that wins and he can be the Survivor King and she can be the only two-time female winner ever. I I don't really blame her, but I wish that she had stayed because I think Sandra does add an interesting dynamic and probably could have stirred up some trouble even on the edge of extinction. You know, I'll say one last thing on quitting um, because it's it's definitely something that um, all Survivor fans hate. No, nobody likes to see somebody quit um, unless they're particularly great fireworks surrounding it, and it gets really dramatic. Then it can be kind of kind of entertaining sometimes. Uh, Brandon Hance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this is probably something that you know. I'm surprised we haven't we haven't talked about yet. But on an all winter season, I don't think there's a, a quite a hunger um, for for the win as you would see with, you know, a bunch of, let's say, nobodies, right? People you, you've never heard of before. And they tried to remedy that this year by putting up $2 million. But I, I, and, I and that is not to say that there aren't people that really want to win this thing, because that's clear, right? Um, but I, in fact, I'm kind of surprised that Sandra is the first quitter that we've had. I think maybe some of the people still in this game, like Ethan, are hanging in there, not not really for the game necessarily, maybe not even for the money, but just to prove to themselves that they can they can still do this, that they can push themselves beyond um, beyond their what they thought was their breaking point and um, do something really special to inspire people. And that's really what Ethan's yeah. doing, right? He's he's hanging in there to show people like, look, you know, you can push past all this all this adversity and you can conquer and uh and that's that's really inspiring and here's sandra saying look you can quit and that's still human too you know which um is inspiring in its own way probably not the best but um let's let's hang out at that edge of extinction a little bit longer um what did you think about that that challenge of sorts that we had? Uh, before I get to that, just briefly, I did want to talk about just, I think, the value of Ethan on the Edge of Extinction, similar to what you were saying. He's not really the best survivor player anymore, being honest. He's not really good at outwitting. He's not very good at outplaying. Mm-hmm. And he's just trying to outlast, really, his own anxieties, I think. I think it's really obvious, and what they're showing us at least, is that he's honestly struggling with a lot of that anxiety about his health, about being able to go on another day. And it's so interesting. We're getting to see these players that we haven't seen a lot of them in 10 plus years, and they're so different from when we saw them last. Ethan's so different. Parvati is a completely different person. I know she's still, you know, a little bit of a flirt and obviously uses her charming ability on people, but it seems to me like she's being genuinely nice to people like Ethan who are struggling out there and trying to encourage him to go on another day. And then, of course, you have Sandra, who I don't think 10 years ago would have quit, right? Not to reiterate everything we just said, but she's changed as well. All of that's really, really interesting. As far as the challenge goes, I really think that the Edge of Extinction has just kind of turned into a place where the Survivor producers get to kind of work like mad scientists. And they're like, they just sit around a table going, what if we did this? And they're like, well, that wouldn't work in the actual game. Well, let's do it on the Edge of Extinction. And then they have to do that. I obviously think the best part was seeing that Tyson thought that he was the only one that got a fire token and then being shown later that Boston Rob is just owning these people and they have no idea. I still do not understand the actual like geographic logic behind the way that Boston Rob was able to get to the end of three trails before anyone else. 
and then also managed to somehow make those fire tokens just vanish like a magician. Where did they go? Did he hide them again that quickly? Did he? Did he? Did he? I have no. I don't know what they he were, did. They were. They were in his. They were in his undies. But he uh, got frisked. No. They all frisked each other. You think he just, you know, just no. kind of called the bluff that people wouldn't frisk yeah. that, that carefully? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those were very small tokens. Boston Rob is, as Tyson said, a portly chap. So maybe he had some you know, extra <laughs> places to put him. He was a lot portlier, if that if that's a word. He's lost a lot of weight, dude. Yeah, the, he's lost my a guy, lot of weight. My guy destroyed that mountain. I mean, if you saw him taking off, Tyson thought, I thought it was so funny that Tyson was like, hey, you know, I can catch him. And the next thing you know, he's found one freaking token and, and Rob already has three. He took off pretty much right away. I mean, you saw like a few of them lagging behind. He was in a dead mm-hmm. sprint at the very beginning because he knew what he was going to do. As soon as he heard that challenge, he, I mean, he's he's gone. He's already gone. I think he's the one that started the sprint, right? He's the one that took off first. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Queens. I mean, we thought we thought uh, Natalie was far and away in charge of the Edge of Extinction, which she was. Yep. I think we got a new. I think we got a new leader. And I think we'll talk about this later. But now, to be clear, there are two people that have three fire tokens, and it's Boss and Rob and Natalie. And I mean, I think odds are that one of them is going to be the player that makes it back in because they have the ability to buy all the advantages. But of course, we will talk about that more later. So unless you have any other thoughts on the edge of extinction, I think we should turn our sights to the main island and then we'll talk about each tribe and kind of see where, you know, your and I's thoughts are on each tribe respectively. Tell me what you think is going on with the Yara tribe. And to be clear, the Yara tribe is currently comprised of Bendry Bergen, Adam, Sarah, and Sophie. <laughs> it's it's one of those groups that's like almost so dysfunctional that it works. Um, and I cannot help but root for them. Like in the in the challenge uh, last week, I I couldn't help but but you know hope that they were the ones that won immunity. And uh, when they did, I got really excited. I like Adam. Ben, I think he's just a goofball. I I. I don't respect his game much at all. I mean, we've already talked about that, but he's great at challenges and he definitely propelled them through that last one. Right. So, uh, and we knew that about him. Um, now obviously we saw a lot of, um, a lot of back and forth between Adam and Ben, um, regarding the, the fact that, I mean, you have to understand these people are hungry, right? They're hangry. Hangry is probably an understatement, yeah. Well, actually, well, hold on, hold on. Let's back up. They had peanut butter and jelly leftovers. They're probably the least hungry they've been. But now been they got in... that carb hangover, and that's even worse. Maybe so. Okay, that's valid. That's valid. That carb hangover is the real deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll get you every time. So I think, uh, you know, I, I like to try to cut survivor slack when it comes to tension, um, they, they're, they're strangers that got together and now they're really close all the time. Adam and Ben, I think, I think Ben just comes across a little bit more of a, of a jerk. Um, you know, when he's being confrontational, just because he's very direct and he's not very socially savvy. I don't think he's intentionally being, being a jerk, but I think like, it's very easy for him to come across that way. And he's not really making an effort to conceal that. I think he's just like, Hey, I'm going to be who I'm going to be and you can put up with it or not. I don't care. And Adam is just, he's, he's felt on the outside this entire game, the poor guy. I mean, he's been 
basically vilified by by boss and rob and then he gets into this group and it's kind of the same thing from ben and um and so you know he doesn't feel like one of the tribe he feels like they're all hiding something from him and so he becomes really inquisitive and i i don't think that was the right move for him i think i think for him he needed to um like like think about it right if they're hiding an idol from him if they're if they're wanting to keep him on the outs then what would confronting them about the idol do for him? Right. They're they're not going to be like, okay, yeah, we had an idol and now you're a part of things. So, uh, you know, welcome to the team. You know, no, he's created this friction out of thin air between them. And if, if they have an idol and half a brain, they're not going to tell him about it. It definitely was weird that they all had to go pretend to go look for it, even though they all believed that it had been found. And Adam, I don't think even really started that. It was Ben Dreberg and that kind of started this whole thing. So Adam was like, okay, fine. You know, I'll go quote unquote, look for it too. And they're all pretending to look, even though two out of the four know where the idol is. And Ben Dreebergen feels like he's somewhat tight with Sophie and Sarah, but clearly not tight enough for them to let him know, hey, dude, this thing's already been found. You don't need to go look for it anymore. They're just going to let him continue to do whatever he needs to do. I think it's kind of interesting that in such a small tribe, there's so much misinformation. And it's on purpose too, and it's between Sophie and Sarah. They're 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 keeping it this way, and they're very smart too. Why? Because Adam's already made his reputation known as kind of a turncoat, and Ben just says everything. He just lays it all out, and you never know. So Sophie and Sarah cannot trust either of them, and so what they're doing, they're playing it very very smart, and that's why I think this tribe works, and that's kind of why I still really like them. Because mostly just I, I really like Sophie and Sarah. I think they're playing right. a, a very good game, both of them. I think they're the tightest duo currently in the game. And if they stick together, really the sky's the limit. I do think they are a pretty tight duo. Back on Adam, I think Adam is in kind of a survivor purgatory. He hasn't been voted off. He's not on the edge of extinction. And yet right. he still has this tormentor, Ben Dreebergen, who's sitting off to his side, basically annoying him all day, every day. And I think <laughs> Adam really is doing his best trying to just play it cool. And he, you know, like I said, wasn't the one that was being confrontational initially about everything. And yet he ends up in these situations where he's like, I didn't start this. And yet I'm the one that has to do damage control what in the world is going on so for adam the merge really can't come any sooner but i don't know who he's going to work with because not only is he not voted out but his future in the game is really really uncertain he has no one i think that looks to him as an ally except for maybe possibly somewhat denise so that's someone maybe he could work with but even then the last time they were together she had just majorly rebuked him by voting a way differently than him and not and not bringing him in the loop I'm 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 pretty curious about this. I think uh, that Adam and Ben are going to basically be free agents as soon as they get over to the other side. Adam might try to work with Sarah and Sophie, but he knows that they don't trust him, so he can't really trust them either. Um, and I think Sophie and Sarah have have a great shot, especially with that immunity idol in their pockets. Yeah, let's let's move on. Um, let's talk about um, Decal for a little bit. Okay, so I have a couple thoughts on Decal, and I think they're probably one of the most interesting tribe dynamics that we have left now, especially going into the merge. So first off, 
I agree with Tony that Denise is a good player. I think I've said several times I really like Denise. I think she's very, very smart. I think emotional intelligence is by far her biggest asset, and that comes from her being a professional therapist. She empathizes with people and helps them work through their emotions for a living. She's very, very good at this. So I agree with Tony. She is a good player, but Tony is dreaming. If he thinks that she is anywhere close to him or above him on what Jeremy called the survivor echelon, I think that's a great (laughs) way of putting it because I think it's kind of been the undercurrent of this whole season. So first off, Mm -hmm. Tony, I agree with you. She's a good player, but you're the top dog right now. And I don't really know if there's anything he can do to change that. The second thing is that we have the other three members of that tribe, Jeremy, Kim, and Denise, kind of becoming an alliance out of nothing because two out of those three people just voted for one person in that alliance, right? Jeremy Mm -hmm. and Kim just voted for Denise, and yet they all wake up the next morning, and they're seemingly all best buddies, but it does seem to be a genuine thing. The producers didn't show us anything to say that this was a lie or someone was just going along to get along. So I think going into the merge, they are probably, you know, we talked about Sophie and Sarah being the tightest two, This is probably the tightest three, and I think that they're a very Mm -hmm. unique set of three because of a couple of things. Number one, they are all likable. Jeremy, Kim, and Denise are all likable. No one really dislikes any of them. Number two, they actually have a plan together going into the merge. The other big alliances that we've seen have all been fractured by now, or they've all had some type of shuffle, and they have a plan going into it. So when things get tough and chaos starts raining, what are they going to fall back on? Hopefully that plan. And then the third thing that sets them up really well is that they are a combination of original Sele and original Decal. So between the three of them, they've worked with everyone in this game already. They have some base understanding of who these people are, who they want to work with, how they play the game. So they might get more information. And then finally, the bonus on top of all of that is that three out of 11 remaining players in the merge is a really big block in Modern Survivor. In Modern Mm -hmm. Survivor, three people that are tight can really sway a vote. So I think that they're probably going to be really compelling who they choose to link up with, whether that's Nick and Wendell or whether that's Sophie and Sarah, is probably going to really impact who the first vote out is once the merge happens. Yeah, I think that's that's a really astute observation on... Um, to call, I think that Tony is is definitely, in my mind, one of the first um, big threats to get out um, next. Nobody really trusts him, especially after his spy shack incident. I think before that, you know, <laughs> yeah. he had a certain charm, but but that was just an unbelievably bad play on his part, just super unnecessary. Um, but but I, I think Tony wants it, right? He wants he's trying to change his game. He's been trying this whole whole game long, but ultimately people know who Tony is by this point. Yeah, I think it's just that people know he's a really great strategist. And again, I think it's just okay. Who do the most people agree is the last remaining biggest threat? And this is something I was planning on talking about a little bit later, but I think we can talk about it now. I do mm-hmm. think in the merge, Tony, at least in my opinion, is probably the most likely to be the first out. We know that it's not going to be Sophie because in the sneak peek, they said, Sophie's running this game. We should vote her out. So obviously it's not going to be Sophie. We know that much. So yep. who else is it going to be? And 
Tony originally looked like he was sitting pretty well. He was in that big Sele alliance, but that thing's now been fractured with Yule being gone. And the other thing that Tony correctly said earlier in the season was, we need to keep the big threats together in this game. And by big threats, what he really should have said was, old school players plus me, because all of those old school players are gone now, now that Yule is gone. There were uh, eight of them, I think. Mm-hmm. I think eight out of the 20 were old school players, as in pre-season 20 players, and they mm-hmm. are all gone. So who's the last big target? It's him. And ah, he doesn't really have anyone that's his number one. He's not anyone's number one. I just think he's going to be the first to go. Yeah, I think the only the only issue I have with that pick is that Tony really hasn't done anything yet, right? We're basing, we're basing his um, threat level on entirely on moves that were made in his previous seasons which i think is still valid sure um but there are a lot of players in this game that have made bigger moves and i think for the most part people are trying to keep their moves quiet because they don't want to be seen as that threat to win the game but um you know tony his persona is is just carried on it's such a strong personality it's such a almost predictable personality in terms of you know the fact that he's going to be ruthless he's going to be cunning he's going to um work people over tell them what they want to hear and then stab them in the back um they know that's coming they know that's coming so it'd be almost a vote based on what you think he's going to do in the future and not necessarily what he's done uh so far in this game right you're banking on the fact that he's going to flip that switch. You know what he he talked about, you know, his his hands are lowered and then all of a sudden the knockout punch comes. And uh, after he gets everyone to lower their guard and everyone sees that coming, I think. And that's that's why he's in trouble. The one revision I will add to my previous statement is if Sarah chooses to really bring him in. Cops because of cop, Yeah, because cops of cops arrest. Exactly. If cops Sarah chooses to, that could work. That might keep him in the game, but it's really up to Sarah. If Sarah wants to let him go, I think he's gone. Yeah. So the last thing that we want to talk about before we actually talk about Sele is I just wanted to give you an opportunity to discuss the challenge. I don't have a ton of thoughts on this this week, but logically I thought we'd talk about this before Sele since they're the tribe that had to vote uh, yeah. someone off. What do you think yeah. about that challenge? Anything I mean, stand out to you? There's really only one thing to talk about, right? What? I mean, there's really just one. I mean, so Wendell has had this thing. So from from his season two seasons ago. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he had that moment with Jeff Probst where he had finished a puzzle and uh and he had finished it before the other challenger. I don't remember who it was. And but he didn't tell Probst that he had finished his puzzle. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So he lost right. the challenge. So you so you think about all these moments that he's had with Jeff Probst during challenges. That's that's what it all goes back to. That, and, and I think that helps make sense of some of the some of the things that he's been doing. But like you know, he's he's in a puzzle scenario, and he's he's almost finished with the puzzle. And instead of finishing the puzzle, he he takes a second. And I, I mean, he's working on it, right? But it's a mental break. It's right. a mental break to tell probes that he's almost done. And so for the second time this season, you see Wendell end up losing a challenge closely. Because arguably he lost his focus because he's got this grudge against probes. I think we're learning stuff about Wendell that we really only guessed at from his previous season. I think he's a pretty vindictive person who holds grudges. Um, and I think it's obviously very clearly coming back to bite him. 
Um, I think that's a pretty good transition to yeah, the, man. To take the us right in the cellar. I don't really have okay, anything to add on the challenge. Oh so take us right gosh. in. What's going on with Wendell? Tell me more. What do you, what's what's your take on this guy, dude? So this guy, <laughs> this dude. Know, okay, so so we've made uh we made a lot of football um analogies. Yep, let's keep them going. Keep them going. Well, this is not a football analogy. Uh, this is well, uh, this is, is a reference. Then? I I don't know. You 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 be the judge. You're <laughs> okay. the editor. You're Sounds the editor good. in chief. Sounds good. Here, here it is. Um, I think that we are looking at a Ryan from The Office, and this goes this goes further, right? Because we're going to talk about Michelle in a second. But Ryan from The Office is <laughs> very much obsessed with himself, right? Yeah. Completely obsessed with himself. Yeah. Thinks the world of himself way more than he probably should. Ambitious to a fault, and he doesn't really care about anyone or anything else. Ultimately, it comes down to him and what he wants in the moment. And that is Wendell to a T. Um, he he is interested in moving himself forward. And this season, he's been very, very upfront with with that attitude. And he comes across as moody. He comes across as um, vindictive, um, as jealous, as angry. Um, and I don't think it's just the edit because there have been so many times when Wendell just outright says just some pretty mean and nasty things. And you can't tell me that the edit is responsible for those words coming out of his mouth. They're, they're his own words. Yeah, He's saying them in tribal council, in filmed conversations with coworkers or, um, or ally um, members. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I, the more we see of Wendell, the more this analogy comes out. Now let's real quick, if you'll let me talk about Michelle. Yeah. So can I guess who she is then in this yeah, scenario? You, you go She's right. She's our ahead. girl, Kelly Kapoor. Oh, she is Kelly Kapoor. All then over. this this analogy is a little too good. I'm pretty I'm pretty jealous that you got to think of this and share it with the with the audience <laughs> because I can't agree more. Because the on again, off again nature of all of this, how one side is clearly selfish and one side is staying with them anyway. Like it all just fits. It all works. <laughs> Michelle so Michelle is here she is, she's the enabler, and she is absolutely obsessed with Wendell. Just cannot cannot stop chasing him and Wendell could give a crap right he, he he's doing his own thing and here comes here comes Michelle and she'll she'll say whatever she needs to in confessionals like I'm done working with him she said uh, t- two different times two different confessionals talking yeah. about different things she says how can I move forward with someone like 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 Wendell who just takes 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 while I'm giving 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 mm-hmm mm-hmm and what does she do? <laughs> she so she's given him a token now. I could not believe that. I was like, what? I know why? No, no, no. It why? fits. It's it's Kelly Kapoor. She would give her left arm for this guy who who just steamrolls her and doesn't care what she has to say. Is annoyed by every word that comes out of her mouth, and and she cannot help but give him everything that he wants. Hmm. And uh, so far. Nothing that she has said in in any of the confessionals or to any other player indicates that this is a that this is a game move at all. I think it's a hundred percent personal, and um, she wants to try and make it work between her and Wendell, and she's completely mistaken. Um, she has been given nothing from Wendell that makes her think that they have a chance at a relationship, and yet she's willing to do whatever it takes, even spoil their own game. 
um, in order to continue whatever this is that she has with him. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. I think everything works there. I think that Wendell does his, you know, proverbial Ryan one-handed push-ups, and then Michelle just buys right back in and gives him whatever he wants. <laughs> and it doesn't really make sense unless you frame it in that way that there's so much past baggage here that it's really influencing these in-game decisions. And while, and, and I guess we'll talk about this now too, while I agree with the decision to actually get out Yule, I don't think that decision was made strategically. I think that was made emotionally because it was going to be Wendell or Yule, which one mm -hmm. did Michelle and therefore Nick want to take out. And they chose to take out Yule because Michelle still has some affinity for Wendell for no reason. There's yeah. no logical reason. So on the Yule vote, I think mm -hmm. that for Nick and Michelle, because at least as the producers framed it, they were the ones that made the decision, of course, right? Because Wendell and Yule were voting for each other. Whoever Nick and Michelle chose to vote for, they could, of course, force a tie. But really, whoever they voted for was going to go home. So from where they are playing, they are, again, using Jeremy's analogy, they are probably several of the lowest players on that hierarchy, on, on that survivor threat echelon. And from their perspective, then, it is always in their best interest to get out a big threat. It's never too early to get out a big threat. Right. Whereas you have someone like Tony who was correctly concerned, hey, if we get rid of Tyson, then Sandra, you're going to go. And if you go, then I'm going to go. So from mm -hmm. Yule's perspective, in hindsight, should he have gotten rid of poverty? I really don't think he should have. I think he should have kept poverty around because in his own tribe, that gave him someone to point the finger at and say, she's a bigger threat than I am. But going back to Nick and Michelle, for them, it's always a good time because they're so far near the bottom. They may be the least two threatening players in the season at all. It's always a great time for them to get rid of Yule. I, I think they kind of stumbled on that strategy. I think part of it too... Um, you saw something change in Yule after that last tribal, and I think he was really confused about how bombastic Wendell was in, in tribal. He's used to the game where you play your cards close to your vest. And I, I don't think he really studied the last, the, the, the most recent seasons very well because he wouldn't have been so surprised. His response, though, in this last tribal, he, he kind of changed things up. He let loose with all of his information. He told them what his strategy was, you know, to try to get the most that he can out of out of every vote off and to make it look like it wasn't him and to try to take things from them. And everyone's like, whoa, you know, maybe we were going to vote Yule off. But now, I mean, he's using words we don't understand. This dude is far and away the smartest person, not just on this tribe, but maybe on this island, including right. the staff, producers, <laughs> yeah. cameramen. He's so smart. So we. He kind of um, dug his own grave. And I'm sitting there listening to him explain these things. And they made it almost comical, you know, that nobody else knew the, what the words were. But I was like, Yule, like, you've just thrown everything away. Like, what are you doing? Stop talking. I am curious as to what would have happened if he hadn't tried to kind of overplay his hand and, and say, okay, not only are we going to vote Wendell off, but we're going to trick him into giving someone his fire tokens. So why don't you have him throw a vote my way? But essentially, I'm going to take some more risk. So I want some of that reward. So I would like a fire token for doing this. And it essentially allowed his name to be put out there. Whereas what Nick and Michelle were saying from the start was, we're in a tribe of four. 
three people need to come to a consensus and vote that person out. Don't yeah. try to get fancy with it. Don't yeah. try to worry about fire tokens because you're not going to be here to spend them if you screw this up. Just pick a person, get rid of them, move on. And he, Yule, is the one that opened the door to other conversations and other strategies and maybe going a different way forward. Because it seemed that for a brief period of time, those three as in Nick, Yule, and Michelle, were going to vote out Wendell. And it was that turning point when Yule basically was was showing off his smarts and saying, here's what we could do. That's when that changed. And people were more open to working with Wendell afterwards. Agreed. I think, I think Yule's response to the changing game was just to kind of play really, really hard. And I don't know that that was the best move. Uh, for him, I think, like you said, he kind of overplayed his hand a little bit, got a little. And and another thing too about the tokens, everybody has been on a different tribe by now. Like you already have friends elsewhere in the game. What makes you think that you're gonna give your tokens to someone on the tribe that just voted you off? I mean, even if one of you voted, you know, through a vote another direction, like you had to know that that was planned, and you have friends elsewhere. So I think it was it was a far fetched plan. It wasn't great, and the even you know it was it was pretty pedestrian. I think even from from Yule um, to to think that the risk was worth the reward. He doesn't even know what the tokens are really useful for on the island yet. Right, and they're and they're worth nothing to you if you're not there. You got to play for today. Yeah. So so we have the merge next week. Mm-hmm, um, clearly, mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. It feels early to me. Does it feel early to you for the merge? It does. It, it honestly, the season has felt so, so short so far. It feels like yesterday this whole thing just got kicked off. So, what um, alliances, if any, um, seem the strongest to you? So I'll keep my comments brief here because I think I already talked about this because of the Kim, Denise, and Jeremy alliance. But I think they are the most set up to be a strong three with a plan going into the merge. And then it's going to be a question of, okay, who can they pull in to get a majority of six people? And can they target someone that they actually want to target? How much will they compromise on who they want to target? Or will their intentions be aligned from the start? I think they're very well set up going into it just because none of them make any dumb mistakes. They, they're they all really good at limiting their own you know, stupid impulses that they may have from time to time. Mm-hmm. They're all likable. They're all going to hear things. I think they'll work well together. We'll see if that holds up. A lot of times we go into the merge and things can completely turn up upside down with no warning. So going into it, I think they're the three that are going to be the strongest going in. You know, I think... um, Oh, and don't forget, Kim also has an idol. Yeah, and she's done a good job keeping that under wraps so far. So I, I think that what contributes most to the chaos is those individuals who know they're on their own that they're loose cannons. And I think we're going to have more going into a merge now than we have ever had in any season previous. Yeah. So I think things are going to get pretty crazy. I mean, you're talking about Adam and Ben who will have nothing to do with each other unless they know for sure that their, their games are on the line. And, um, you have at least Tony, Tony's going to know pretty soon off that he's not going to be kept in that, in that group. Um, I mean, Wendell, completely loose cannon michelle's gonna follow him around but he doesn't really have have a group to play with now since yule's gone um 
I think he he's going to be kind of like he's been this whole game long, you know, doing his own thing and somehow saved by the skin of his teeth. You you just have a ton of people that are not in any specific group. And so there's going to be a lot of chaos, but I think Sarah and Sophie are going to stay strong together. Um, and I think that they're going to make some pretty cool moves this next episode. I'm calling that calling that shot. And I think I think you have a good point on on the group of three. I think they'll probably stay strong, or at least they'll definitely try to. Um, but things are going to get crazy, man. I mean, uh, in terms of picking a first vote off, I think there's just way too much in the air at this point. Yeah. Um, any any guess I made would be just you know I, I don't have a lot of so you don't have a first vote off pick you know i have to make one yeah you gotta I, go I on the record like I do. yeah i already picked tony i mean you can piggyback off of that if you want or you can go off on your own and <laughs> pick someone else i guess <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm i'm <sighs> let me think about it first okay second. all right we'll come back to that we'll come back to that the one other thing we can talk about first is if there is a return challenge do you think it's going to be Boston Robert Natalie? Oh my gosh. Um, it depends on the challenge. Yeah. It's got to depend on the challenge. If it's a physical challenge, I think Natalie is going to come out ahead. If there's enough strategy involved that Rob can gain the upper hand, he's going to. Hmm. Um, but I think it's got to be either Natalie or Rob. I, 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 If I were a gambling man, that's where I'd put my money. Yeah, I think, again, I think you're right. It does depend on the challenge. I think that that Natalie is probably a more well-balanced challenge threat. But if it's a really complex puzzle or something, I think Boss and Rob could sneak in and take it away from her since they will likely be on equal footing in terms of advantages. I don't think Rob's going to use it for an idol. I think he's going to use it to get back in the game. I honestly, I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give Rob the puzzles. I think Rob's a strategist, right? And people put him on the puzzles because he's smart. But we saw him completely mess up a puzzle challenge and do the worst puzzle that I've ever seen in Survivor this season. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I, I don't think that just because you're a strategist, you're great at puzzles. I, I think, in fact, Natalie is plenty smart. I think I think I almost give her the edge in the, in the puzzle. What I'm saying is, if there is a strategy component, Jeff Probst always, he always calls this a little learning curve right? There's a learning curve to this challenge. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. for those, it's for those challenges that aren't particularly intuitive. Rob is very fast at figuring out how to do challenges and how to gain the upper hand, how to do things a little bit faster, a little more effectively. And I think that the more steep that learning curve is, the more Boston Rob has, uh, an advantage. I think, I think that's Bo- fair. I think that Rob and, um, I would say Parvati is in there. Um, I don't know if she has the physical tools to finish it out. I think that Ethan's on his last leg and he's doing the best he can, but he's not going to be a threat in the physical or mental side of things. Um, I think Tyson is just too goofy um, <laughs> for me to give him the respect. Well, like I think, I think Tyson could, I think he could win a challenge. I just think those advantages are going to be a big contributor in who wins most likely. No, but he got the peanut butter. He got the peanut butter. Yeah, well, and so he gonna use that power. He gonna use that protein. And he gonna win. 
I don't know if you saw that where it was. He does have one token, so now he could get that. I don't know if you're one of those yokels that doesn't understand the power of Ben. I think between the two of us, you're clearly the yokel. It's definitely (laughs) you because I can appreciate the peanut butter play. And my boy Tyson does have one fire token, and I think he'll spend it on one advantage. I don't think he's going to buy more food. If he buys more food, I will go on the record now. If Tyson buys more food, I will publicly disagree with that decision. That was Uh, a bad call. I mean, he would have two fire tokens right now. If there's another opportunity for for a fire token he could have used all three to get an immunity idol or significant advantage in the return challenge i think he deserves every bit of this that he gets and i'm calling it he's not gonna win okay he's not gonna get back all right so we got to bring this to a close before we go do you think you have a pick for the first vote out i'm gonna say adam and the reason i'm gonna say adam is is because I think that Adam is just not trusted by enough people that no one's really going to work with him. And if he's left out of the vote, that puts him at a significant um, risk of being the person that everyone's talking about. Other than that, you know, you have the alliance members. If people get wind of those alliances, then they're going to start looking at chipping away at those, especially since the majority of people are not in alliances right now. I mean, we're talking the tribe of three and we're talking Sophie and Sarah. I think that if people get wind of those strong alliances, then they're going to target those people and try to flush idols or whatever it takes. Okay, that's all the time that we have for uh, today, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Um, Make sure that you give us a rate if you can. Um, Drop a comment. You know, get on our Facebook page. That's the, the majority of the interaction that we do with our fans on Facebook. So um, give us a shout out, give us a like, and let us know how we're doing. If we make any ridiculous points that you want to refute, feel free to get on there. We'll respond and just have a good time watching this awesome season. So thanks so much. Y'all stay safe out there. Thanks, guys.